0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. I was just watching some YouTube videos with Keith on my lunch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was showing me the one with, about the guy in that small town that um, covered a bulldozer in like steel plating. And then just went on a rampage, just like destroying buildings. I have stuff. not seen this. Oh, I had neither, and then I countered with the, with the military veteran that stole the like, M60 tank from some base in San Diego and just started driving around San Diego, like driving over cars, fire hydrants, <laughs> tried to tried to ram a bridge support on the freeway. Jesus. His downfall there was trying to cross the freeway to go into oncoming traffic, and then he got stuck on the center divider. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. Yep. So, you know, if you're ever driving a tank on the freeway. <clears throat> stay
1: off the divider. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. stay off the dividers. It's not going to work out. It's good advice. Mm-hmm. We're changing lives here. <laughs> Helping people. Just trying to help people get through the day. Sure. One day at a time. Hey, everybody. This is Gordon in Boston. And this mm-hmm. is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. How's your week been?
0: Uh, good. Yeah? Yeah, I had this thing going on that took like three weeks. Right. And Get I out. hate that. Well. Yeah. Two damn. weeks. Two weeks. And I was just tired of working on it. And it like required changes all throughout the code base. So once I got that done, I'm energized again. Nice. I like being in a back in a place where like fixes take like 10 minutes.
1: Right, instead of a week. Yeah. yeah. I feel
0: like I'm productive. Yeah. Getting things done. Yeah, right on.
1: Hey, that... <laughs> that recruiter responded yeah good right oh wait respond just now oh, three minutes man. ago what did he say
0: so a little, a, little, a little backstory we had a pr on liftoff uh that was closed three hours ago <laughs> yeah. and what seems to be a recruiter came on and commented Hi! Notice that you guys have been so active in iOS development. Would really like your input about this position that I'm currently trying to fill. The company is asking for iOS developers with strong lamp background. <laughs> and so you tweet it, and people make all kinds of like flashlight and lamp jokes.
1: I also posted. I posted it in our Slack room too. So Ian is the first guy that commented. Is who really kind of opened the floodgates is here in the Boston office, <laughs> and he was like, "I got this." <laughs> <laughs> He asked if, I mean, we can link to it. But so everyone started making jokes about flashlight apps and lava lamps, basically. Right? I can't get to this email.
0: So he comes back and just says, I meant the lamp stack, dot, dot, dot.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. I would never seen that before. Recruiters commenting on a GitHub pull request. Like, what the hell? So weird. I can't figure out why. Whatever. I'm tweeting.
0: <laughs> just a link. Caleb, Caleb just responded. <laughs> I'm so it's happy with lamps.
1: <laughs> so happy with this.
0: Oh god. Did you have something you want to talk about, or can we talk about Ebola panic for a little bit?
1: No, I don't know. I don't think I had anything specific. Yeah, I've just been doing Ruby all week. Hopefully, I think I'm going to re- release a new version of Liftoff tomorrow. Sweet. Should be good. What's in that? Tons of stuff, actually. Let's see. The main two things are I added the ability to set arbitrary configuration, like build configuration settings, on a per configuration basis, too. So I, there's a new hash in the Liftoff RC that you can set... And it just takes this dictionary structure, and you can just set anything in there. So the first key inside the main key would be the name of the build configuration, and then inside that you just set everything as if it's a dictionary. So other LD flags, well, warning C flags. You can set basically anything that is available in settings, as long as you know the um, that full name not the display name but the actual name of that setting you can set it to whatever you want which is pretty rad Mm -hmm.
0: those are all documented in the llvm docs right
1: um they're also in xcode if you click on the setting and you have the inspector pane open under quick info i think you can see uh it'll tell you what that key is actually and it'll describe what the what the key sets cool So I had that, and then the other, and then I fixed a couple bugs. And then the other big main thing is Swift support. And we actually default to generating projects with a new Swift template. I've been kind of avoiding that for, I don't know, three months. One was WWDC. Like, I've been kind of nervous about how much work this was going to be for a while. But it ended up just being a couple days to get it out. And I actually think it's more flexible now. So the way we implemented Swift support is by getting away from this concept of – so Liftoff generates projects for you, right, folder structures. And up till now – it's always been one key. There's one key inside your liftoff RC that you can set to define a folder structure. So we have a default one. If you override it in your liftoff RC, that's now the folder structure you create when it, when liftoff runs. Now we've opened that up so that we have, by default, two templates inside. The keys have kind of changed around a little bit, but there's two templates in there now. There's an Objective-C template and a Swift template, and then the same for the testing targets. And through some kind of hacky Ruby stuff, you're able to override only single build configuration keys or adding your own keys at any level along the chain. So you can add your own templates and then specify them at the command line with a command line option or set them as the default inside your liftoff RC as well which actually makes it even kind of more powerful because it gives you this ability to kind of mimic Xcode the way Xcode works where they have, you know, project templates for multiple kinds of projects. So maybe it's a single view, maybe it's a empty, maybe it's a, you know, you know, so you could actually set those up yourself and have your own templates in there. You could even go way crazy with it. Like I'm just thinking about some old clients that I had that we're constantly building apps built on a common code base, you know, like you could use liftoff now to generate apps specifically, like all your own templates, you know, your own pod file, everything could just get dumped in so that when a user, when, when one of your employees needs to build a new app based on this, common code base you would just be able to do lift off and then just name it and you're done basically it removes all that kind of setup any kind of find and replace you would have to do would be taken care of by the templating system so it was weird because it was like one of these it's one of those things where i went in meaning to add one feature which was swift support and i made a pass at it and it was very limited and i wasn't happy with it not 100 percent. like it felt kind of weird. And then taking another look at it, all of a sudden, by just generalizing, it made it more powerful than mm-hmm. I had originally set out to make it. you know I think the biggest benefit to Liftoff has been this config file concept. Moving stuff into this into user-configurable state has just done amazing things for the power of the application.
0: My first thought when I saw it was using it to create a project that would be a pod and mm-hmm. that would include like an example
1: yeah, project could, because yeah.
0: configuring that by hand is usually pretty tedious
1: yeah so there's i mean yeah you could absolutely do that we could i mean there is a pod lib in it i think that'll create a, a cocoa pod for you but there's no reason that we couldn't have a folder structure and a set of templates to do that for us anyway you know what i mean so that you always do you could just do lift off Uh, dash dash template pod you know and that would create a pod he alias that to something else yeah i'm just really i'm really happy with the flexibility of all of it um i think it's pretty great
0: if i could just derail for a second sure that that thread is blowing up awesome (laughs) like the whole time you're talking
1: it's just exploding on twitter on twitter
0: i tweeted a couple things and more people are responding now retweets are happening (laughs)
1: He, he came back. He goes with oh, a full
0: job description. Holy hell! So I tweeted that and said, <laughs> "Damn, this guy is persistent." <laughs> I I'm just impressed. <laughs>
1: this is so funny. Good lord! I Proce- <laughs> Give Ian a, a high five. till you, you see him? You should after this? I'm so happy he started this because I wasn't going to say it. Like I thought about deleting it. I saw that comment pop up and I was like I should just delete this like I don't I don't want this in here. Uh-huh. But then I was like it is pretty weird and I wanted other people to recognize that it was weird. I've never seen this. I don't think it's nobody I don't I heard from a bunch of people that said that they'd never seen that before.
0: You so know. So I think a, a better way to curtail this is instead of deleting it and locking the pull request is to just mock them relentlessly. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> that's the way we handle problems (laughs) through ridicule and scorn (laughs) i mean the real thing is that he didn't just email one person by commenting on this you know what i mean there's there's not a whole lot of watchers but there's at least 54 people that just watch this repo so he blasted 54 people with an email here you know what i mean and then I don't think anyone was subscribed. I don't know why anyone would be subscribed to this issue. But if they were, they got notified too. So it's like, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think he's getting what he deserves here. This is phenomenal, though. This is just keep going. Sorry. I wish
0: I had something to talk about, but I really have not done a single interesting thing since we last spoke.
1: Well, so you were doing a little more testing. Do you have any thoughts on... Stuff that you, were you able to take away anything from getting into testing this week?
0: I mean, overall, since starting the project, I feel way more comfortable with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Where are you right now on testing in general? Are you still kind of... I'm not
0: strictly doing TDD, Mm -hmm. but I will do it if I'm working on something where I don't really fully have my head wrapped around how I'm going to implement it yet. I get the most value out of TDD in that case. Mm Mm-hmm. If it's something where I've done it before and I know kind of like all the cases around it, I will just code it up and then write the tests to affirm that what I did is correct. Right. Yeah, I like saving TDD for helping me guide the design. Mm -hmm. when I'm kind of in uncharted territory. That's where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah. I do wonder if there's a couple places that by doing the testing after... Instead of before, like you're putting yourself in situations where you're ending up writing things that are harder to test and then having to deal more with the problems and testing versus if you had tested it first, right? If you wrote the test and then just made it work, then... It would have been clear when those, you know what I mean? Like there were a couple of things where you had some mocks that were acting weird and you had to do some mocking that was unexpectedly deep. And I, I think that, you know, I think that the code was fine, like reading it. But then when we were looking at those tests and it's like, oh, be sure to mock this out in these different places because you don't want to hit the disk. And, you know, you're launching up this persistence thing here. You need to make sure that that's mocked out. Also, you know, there, there were a couple of things like that where it was like not wrong. You know what I mean? Like I think that's a big thing to take away from all of this is that tests don't make good code and good code doesn't have to be driven by tests. That's too dogmatic. I, I like to think that I've I can
0: now kind of identify those cases and I can handle that. Like I can already kind of see coming up like, yeah, this thing is going to depend on this. So mm-hmm. maybe a good design here is dependency injection instead of trying to like. Mm -hmm. mock this thing out Mm -hmm. and I can foresee those events. I think in the case you're talking about in particular, I'm chalking that up to just mental exhaustion. Like I was just so tired of this stuff that,
1: but I don't, but I think the code, I think the code you wrote was fine. Like had I seen that go, go through in a code review, it's not like I would have even given it a second glance. I would have been like, yep, 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 yep. Like that's it totally logical, totally makes sense. My bigger question is, and it's a question that's not really answerable i don't think it's kind of a hypothetical question which is is it possible that there's a totally different design that would have been revealed had the test been written before the code you but know what I, I think mean?
0: in that case i i did write the tests first but for some reason i thought this needs to be a mock put in here and i came back to it later like a day later and i looked at it and immediately was like what the hell was I trying to do here? <laughs> I could just create a user. Oh yeah, like, no, I'm not. And yeah, just pass yeah. a user in here. Yeah. Like I don't need to mock a user. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. I,
1: no, but there was the other. There was the other one with the the persistence. It was the caching stuff and uh, was oh, dealing right. with the user session and the caching stuff. And both of those things had to be mocked out for all of the tests because you didn't want to hit the real API and you also didn't want to hit the. Re- you know what I mean? It's like. That was one thing where it felt like reaching into the implementation and mocking something out just because we knew it was there.
0: Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. I, I hadn't considered that that needed to be that way. But what's interesting about that is that I wrote those objects a couple months ago mm-hmm. and I did TDD those. Hmm. But Then, because of, like, how that led me to write the code, that when I had to use it in this new way now, it was all really awkward. Right. And it turned out that what I really just needed was, like, a convenience method. Right. That would sort of, like, do all the setup for me, and then that gave me a thing to stub, and everything just kind of worked out nicely after that. Right. Yeah, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah. In a weird way with TDD, my experience has been that once you get a handle on... The basic concept of TDD, like once you're, once you're able to really kind of make that, that, that mental switch that I've talked about a few times, which is like moving away, like you start testing and you're like, well, how the hell am I supposed to write a test first if I don't know how to implement it? Right. I don't know what this method that I'm about to write looks like. How the hell am I supposed to test it? You know? And then a switch – and I swear to God, this switch actually does happen in TD – like when you're getting into TDD where all of a sudden you start going like, well, I don't know how to implement this because I haven't written a test for it and I don't know what it's – how it's supposed to behave. That's the switch that happens. And one of the interesting things that I think happens as a result of that is that testing actually gets easier to do because you write the ideal test, right? So you're done now. Like, you don't have to worry about, oh, well, how do I test this weird thing all the way down here? You know what I mean? You're done. You wrote the test in order to give you the path of least resistance, which honestly is if you're looking for objects that are that have, like, observable results. I don't know how else to say this. You know what I mean? methods Methods that have behavior and that behavior is observable. If you're not using these black box kind of objects where you kind of, like, I put a quarter in it, and then it does some magic. Nothing comes out. I just kind of – something something happens back there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean if you're dealing with objects where it's like I instantiate it with some kind of state, and now all this stuff is true. Or I hand the method this object, and it hands me back this other thing. You know what I mean? Or even I hand the method a method this object, and it hits this other object, and then I get back this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of relationships are kind of observable – Behavior, yeah, right? It's
0: put pushing behavior out to the boundaries of objects. Exactly, like in, in your example of like putting a quarter in. It's like instead of writing, uh, I don't know, slot machine object, you would have first right. you'd have a coin slot object. Just right. like I put a quarter in, and then you know the quarter goes somewhere else. <laughs> right, it's right. A stupid example, but
1: <laughs> right. But so, like, with that in mind, with the idea being that the goal is to write objects that have directly observable behavior. And honestly, minimizing side effects, if that's the goal of objects, then the path of least resistance in the tests should be the ideal interface and should be the ideal representative of the ideal implementation for this for the method. Do you know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't have to do anything weird in order to make those tests just to make those tests work, because that's stuff that you should be observing and looking at anyway. Yeah, the, the switch
0: you're talking about is not really like testing-related necessarily. It's just that doing TDD helps you get to the point where you start thinking about interfaces before you think about implementations.
1: Yeah, and, and specifically behavior. Like I keep using that word intentionally because like I am at the point for the most part where I have to say, okay, how do I want this this thing to act? And then I write a test – saying this is how it should act. And now I kind of get to go off and just write code until it satisfies that preset requirement that I've set up for myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because the tests are coming first and because I'm not trying to test the implementation directly and because the tests end up being the path of least resistance for using that object, there are very few times when you're Doing full blown TDD, where you have to go, like, oh crap, how am I going to test that this actually happens? You know what I mean? It's just harder to put yourself in that state. Versus every time I've had just the worst time trying to test something, it's been because someone has said, like, here's this method that I wrote. How do I test this? And it's like, well, <laughs> Well, what does it do? You know what I mean? Like you're not asking the right questions. You're asking how do I test this implementation that I wrote. You're not asking I have this object and here's what it does. How do I make assertions that that behavior is correct? You know what I mean? Tests should be more abstract than that.
0: Right. Testing what a thing does and not how it does it.
1: Right. Exactly. I think that's an important distinction. and I think that it's something that a lot of people don't get about. Testing. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that like XC test makes it harder because XC test is set up in a way where you really want to test every method individually. And so now you're thinking about what does this method do and what does this method do, as opposed to thinking about kind of like what does the object do as a whole and what's the behavior of this object. When you start thinking about behavior instead of method implementation, you know, you get away from implementations.
0: One thing I wish Xcode would do that's kind of in service of what we're talking about is that I wish when you created a new file, it didn't dump you into the .m in Objective-C.
1: Yeah, we talked just, about that before. Mm, have
0: we? Oh. Early on, I remember. This seems like such a simple thing. Take mm-hmm. me to the .h. Yeah. In fact, I catch myself. I, I still do this all the time. I, I start writing interfaces in the implementation file just because I forget which oh, file I'm I in. That,
1: I do that constantly. I do that constantly, and I always do the same thing. I write out an interface in the implementation, then I flip to the implementa- into the interface file, into the header, and start writing out the implementation. And then I'm like, "What are all these errors and warnings for?" <laughs> and then that's when I realize that I have it all flipped, and then I got to cut and paste back and forth between these two files. I mean, Swift kind of makes that a moot point a bit because it's just all right there. Mm-hmm you know in one file so you just get dumped into and in fact like i've been using just kind of a blank file template like completely blank which has been really nice just give it a name no template code in there
0: sorry i dropped off there for a second i had to comment on that thread <laughs> okay i don't know if you've been paying attention but uh jankowski got in on the fun too so awesome you <laughs> can look forward to that
1: i'm so excited so are you are you at the point where you're able to trust those tests again, or is it just kind of...
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know exactly... I can't remember exactly what you did to fix Spectre last week, but everything's working great it now. Was, it, 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 with, was,
1: it was mock objects.
0: Mm. Even with the spec shuffling mm. is what exposed those problems.
1: Yeah. So what happened was we updated Spectre to version 0.3, which is actually still in progress right now it's a work in progress branch but we updated specter to 0.3 and all of a sudden we were getting test failures everywhere and it was just like what the, and weird test failures too like entire test classes all of a sudden we'd go from we had zero failures to 30 failures and then you'd run it again and it'd be 12 failures and it'd be a different whole different part of the app and then you'd run it again and it was like all good it's like what the hell is going on here? Are these just intermittent failures or is this just like, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was convinced for a while that the problem was in, um, I said before that I wrote like a very, very simple version of OH HTTP stubs just as a NSURL protocol. And it basically just throws a wall up between you and the network and you tell it when you get this request, return this data is basically how the object works, and then it throws an exception if it ever gets hit with a URL request that it doesn't have a stub for. It's just a very stupid wall. It's just a dumb wall that sits between the tests and the network so that we aren't hitting any APIs with dummy data. So I was convinced that something was broken there because all of the tests that were failing seemed to have something to do with the API client. And so I was like, I spent a little while looking into that. And then I realized two things. One, I realized that the tests were being shuffled now. I think you figured out that when you turn the shuffling off, they all passed again. Right. And then between that, I was like, okay, well, let me turn them off. And they were all green when I turned them off. It's like, okay. So then when I turn the shuffling back on, I think I set a breakpoint and just broke in a place where I knew that the test kept failing. So I I set a breakpoint, and then I was looking, and all of a sudden, one of those, our API client, which was the class that we were trying to test, the API client came back as a mock object, right? So we were setting it as a mock object in there. For some reason, it had been set as a mock object and just never, never released, So it was just hanging around in that entire class. That's why all those – that entire class of tests were failing because it got to that test suite for that class. And every time it tried to create an object to test, it was creating a mock object. So nothing was happening the way it should. So then I was able to, like, grab the seed for that specific test run and then plug that in so that it always ran – that in that order and then I was able to step back through the tests that had run and find places where we had like mocked the API client and it was never we never told to stop mocking. And so and I still don't know why this is happening because this isn't supposed to happen. It it was just living forever. Like these mocks that we were creating, once we stubbed that class, it was just stubbed forever from that point forward. Until something happened to tell it to stop stubbing or overrode the mock, then it finally got released. I don't know why that's happening, but so I had to go back through and find you know maybe half a dozen places where something hadn't been released or something hadn't stopped mocking properly. And that was a pain in the ass. That was a long day, but yeah, I still don't know why that that because that I looked in the implementation that thing should have been released. And I'm still not sure why that object was hanging around for so long still is really i mean it's not actively mocking anymore but there's still in the system there's like none of the methods are swizzled but it still has like that object is still alive i think inside the system while the tests are running which sucks it's weird Hmm. anyway so since then you've been leaning on them yeah yeah, everything's
0: been great. I was just ready to flip the switch on Travis yesterday and get it back running on Travis CI.
1: Everything broke I'm, again. I'm glad I,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, well, I'm glad I held out.
1: Yeah, that'll be nice when that gets back up because that's annoying. That means we could probably run Swift tests on Travis. Oh,
0: nice. Should be good. How has that been, writing tests for Swift and Quick?
1: Fine. It's been fine. I like Quick. Uh, And I like Nimble. I like those frameworks a lot. I think they did a good job. But pain points there have been just the same stuff we said back when Access Control was first released, which is just that it makes it such a pain in the ass to do – did we talk about this last week?
0: I think we touched on it a little bit.
1: Yeah. But just that that Access Control stuff is just kind of makes stuff miserable. And then not having the precompiled headers – kind of makes stuff a little annoying because it means that I can't import all of the test frameworks in one place. I have to import them in every single file. And that's kind of a pain in the neck. What I did do is completely abuse the bridging header and imported the objective C headers into the bridging header, which then exposes them to that entire target and so then I'm able to use the Swift interfaces that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a complete abuse of the system, but it worked. Um, I did the same thing. Well, I kind of had to do that with the library that we're using. You can see all this, by the way. I did open source roster completely uh, last week, maybe the week before. So I'll put it in the show notes again, but it was in last week's show notes as well. It's just kind of like a. Uh, there's not really anything interesting in there, but we're using MVVM. And it's got some tests set up, and it's in Swift, and that's about it. That's like the only interesting stuff to it, you know. It's just, but I was I was like working on it, and I was kind of like, what's the reason for this being closed source? I couldn't find one. Mm-hmm. Like it's using there's nothing proprietary in it. It is hitting a private API of ours, but that's all wrapped up in this private CocoaPod TB directory that no one can see. You know, so the only thing I think it does is that the bin setup script exposes the URL for our private CocoaPod spec repo, which, again, you can't get to. So it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, so, so don't try to run it. It's not going to build. No. <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting to just kind of have that kind of stuff out in the open and build that stuff in the open. Who cares? You know? Yep. What else?
0: Kind of a light week. Oh, This was fun. I put a collection view in a table view cell and it just worked. (laughs) I had like (laughs) blocked out a week for displaying a sort of like horizontally scrolling image slideshow in table view cells because I just thought it was going to be like a mess. But no, I I just put it in there and, you know, set up the data source and it just works. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. That's fun. I, I was fully expecting that, like, if you tried to scroll vertically and your touchdown point was on the collection view, that it wasn't going to work mm-hmm. because I thought that that thing would be, like, stealing your touches. It
1: but just works.
0: Yeah. So I was expecting to have to subclass UI table view and override that method that sort of says, like, hey, should this thing receive touches given that a scroll is starting and right. all that stuff? And I didn't have to. Nice. So cool. <laughs> that worked out. <laughs> yeah. This could not have gone any better. Right. <laughs> I think that's all I got.
1: Right on. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. All right. Show notes for this episode are gonna be found at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash slash fifty-eight.
0: And as always, we'd like to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And as always, we'd appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes.
1: Good. Yep, go so read that, that thread, dude. <laughs> I know, I'm 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 excited.
0: Ah, <sighs> oh, fantastic.